Would you pray with me, please? Father, we desire your word. We desire, Father, your revelation of things. We desire you. We desire your presence. We desire, my Father, your correction, your instruction, your guidance. We desire, my Father in heaven, that you would manifest yourself to us this day and every day. I pray that you would guide my words, Father God, that you would guide them, that you would encourage my heart, and that you would bring blessing, Father, to all whose hearts are open to you. Be lifted up in everything, Lord God. We give ourselves to you now as moldable clay. Form us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to be uh, sharing with you and doing some teaching on the Trinity, so I won't direct you to any particular passage uh, of Scripture today uh, because uh, I'll be putting them up in the screen as they become necessary. But I, I very much like uh, the reading today of the creation. Uh, not only was it very well read, uh, thank you, Elizabeth, but uh, I, 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 just, I just get blessed by uh, reading how God created all things, His purpose, how, how chaos became order, just because He said it to be. And so I'm just encouraged by by that reading. But I also was very blessed by the second reading and uh, just wanted to uh, mention uh, a little bit of the second reading um, where St. Paul is writing, actually closing his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. And he says, examine yourself to see whether you are holding to your faith. That's, that's a good word. That's a very good word. Examine yourselves. I think it's better that we examine ourselves than we ask God to examine us. Amen? On the other hand, he may be a little bit more gracious than we would be with ourselves. But in any case, Paul encourages the church in Corinth and you would need to understand a little bit more of the context that caused him to write this second letter to the Corinthians and the problems that were going there, were going on there, and how they actually had run him out of Corinth. They actually had uh, run Paul out of Corinth. And so he closes this uh, letter by saying, examine yourself to see whether you're holding to your faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. Do not realize, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? So test yourselves. 
And I think in, in part when we talk about the Trinity, I see the Trinity as a test of, of the true pale of Christianity. Many people may call themselves Christians. They, many people may call themselves the church. And there are many groups that call themselves the church or Christians just because they mention a few Christian terminology or a few Christian words. I want to say to you that one of the key doctrines of the true biblical Christian church is the teaching and the doctrine of the Trinity. Any deviation from the doctrine of the Trinity eventually gets us into a ditch. Sometimes a ditch too deep to be able to get out of. And so it is essential that we understand what the revelation of God is, as well as understand the limitations of our own humanity to fully comprehend all of the mysteries of who God is. And although we can explain the Trinity in theological terms, I don't think anyone or anyone in the right sense can say, I know everything there is to be known about God. Because that immediately gets you into a bad place. I certainly don't claim to know everything about God. My mind is extremely finite to understand the infinity of the creator of the universe and beyond this universe. And so I think it's important we understand as much as we can understand uh, of the Trinity. And today, being Trinity Sunday, it is always my pleasure to give you a little bit or sufficient teaching that you can see where you are and to test your faith, I think it's, it's essential. We talk a lot about God Sunday after Sunday and even during the week. I mean, all of us who are in the Word of God, all of us who pray for others, we all talk about God daily, I hope. But theologically, and for me as, as a preacher, we, I preach to you and I teach you about God every Sunday. And I try never to deviate from Scripture whatsoever, so that whenever I preach to you, you can see it in Scripture. I ask you to open the Word. I ask you to look at what I'm saying, and I like you... I, ask you always to test what I'm saying against Scripture. But from the beginning of the Christian year, which begins with Advent, the season of Advent, we talk, uh, we talk a lot about uh, God the Father, or we, call, we just say God, but we talk about God the Father uh, a great deal. And uh, we, um, we say several things about about God. Uh, may I have the next slide, please? These are some of the things we talk about when we talk about the Creator or Father. Uh, we, we speak of God as being the Creator. 
and that nothing that's ever been created was created without God. He is the source of all creation. It is in His hand. But we also speak about God being a relational God. We always talk about how much God loves us and how much God wants to always reconcile Himself uh, to us. We talk about a God that didn't create everything and then went away and just left it to its own demise or to its own working. Uh, we, we know a God who is uh, involved, completely involved in establishing relationships with His people. The whole process of redemption is a process of a God who wants to be in relation with the creation. E everything about God is that He wants to live in harmony with you. He wants to live in peace with you. He doesn't want to judge and punish. He wants to love and walk with us in the garden. He wants us all to return to the garden uh, experience where, where we talked with God in the morning, in the evening, where He came and we had a relationship with Him and He knew everything about us and we didn't have to go hiding ourselves behind a bush or hiding any part of our lives because of something that we know we did or something that we didn't do. He wants us to have no condemnation. He wants us to have complete freedom to live in harmony with Him. Okay? So we have a God that is relational, but we also have a God who is covenantal, a God who makes covenants with his people. And he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And these are the basis of our agreement of what that means and our covenant. But we also speak about a God who is a guiding God, which is the whole idea of why he sent prophets is to give guidance to His people throughout the Old Testament. It's the whole idea of why He gave the Holy Spirit so that He can guide us. It's the whole idea of why He gave the Scriptures in the first place so that we may understand His Word. You see, sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments or we look at the commandments of God, and some people tend to see the Ten Commandments as a heavy hand from God. A heavy hand, you either do it my way or you're going to get a punch or you're going to get punishment. Uh, I don't see the Ten Commandments that way. I think the Ten Commandments are God's initiative to tell us how to live life in such a way that since He's the author of life and He knows how life should be lived to its abundance, He gives us the perimeters by which we live it both in relationship to Him and in relationship to one another. The Ten Commandments and all of the commandments have the purpose of guiding us into the kind of life that God wants us to have. There's no heavy hand behind the idea of giving us the commandments. There is the idea of guiding all of us so that we can receive everything that He has designed for us. Have no other God but me. Don't take my name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day. 
That's in relationship with him. How can we be in communion with him? And then, of course, honor your father and your mother. Don't kill, don't murder, don't commit adultery. It's how we live together. And if we live by the commandments, believe me, the idea is that our lives will be fuller, our lives will be friendlier, our lives will be happier, our life won't be in chaos, our life would be in the light with no shame whatsoever. So we have a God who wants to guide us to abundant life, to a life that is complete and and free and and abundant and and enjoyable and and fulfilling in in every way. So we speak about this God from, from, uh, from the beginning uh, all through, but we also speak a whole lot, and I preach to you mostly from the Gospels every week. So we talk a lot about Jesus, and some of the things we talk about Jesus is we talk about his incarnation, we talk about his miracles, uh, his healings and teachings and examples, we talk about his servant leadership, his attitude as a leader, how he serves. We talk about his death and resurrection. And of course, we talk about his ascension and his resurrection. And uh, we talk about his second coming. Those are topics that we, and I've taught you about uh, from the beginning of the Christian year all the way through until we start the following calendar liturgical year. But last week, uh, we, we stopped to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And last week, we celebrated Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And some of the things we talked about or have talked about is the sanctifying work of, of the Holy Spirit, how he has moved in. Remember, I told you one of the mighty things for me of the Holy Spirit is that God has moved into your life. Divinity has come to live in you. Divinity, the divine holy God, has come to live inside of you. And one of the things he does when he moves in is he rearranges your life. And we all know that we've been rearranged. That our lives are different. The things that we used to do, we no longer want to do. The things we ought to feel, we no longer want to feel. That the way we reacted to people sometimes, that's not how we want to uh, react. That, that God is in the move of changing us completely from within. Okay, so we said he's sanctifier, but we also have spoken of the Holy Spirit as transformational, and we talked about the Holy Spirit empowering for ministry uh, through the gifting that he, uh, that he gives to each person, and we talk about the Holy Spirit as illuminator or illumination. Uh, I mean, if you read Scripture and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what you're reading, you're going to receive the Lord's help to understand the scriptures, to understand the message of God. Not only were the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit, but I think the Holy Spirit still inspires you to understand what he caused to be written. And so it's important whenever we read scripture that we always ask, come Holy Spirit, help me understand. Open those areas of my life that need to be opened so that I understand 
I don't understand everything. I have questions. I have objections. So help me understand by your divine influence, your divine presence, how can I make sense of the things that you are talking about? Direct me, guide me, lead me, illumine me, that I may come to understand the Holy Word of my Father in heaven. So we talk about the Father. We talk about the Son. We talk about the Holy Spirit. But very seldom, see, we talk about them individually as persons. But I think the doctrine of the Trinity requires that we understand that God is one in essence and three in persons. One in essence and three in persons. Let me say this. I don't think any religion or any church I mean, we get accused at times, and, and I don't like mentioning religions or churches, but there, there's people that don't understand sometimes what the Christian church believes. So sometimes they accuse us of having three gods, which couldn't be farther from the truth. I mean, Islam has a problem. One of the things we get accused of by Islam is that we have three gods. They claim that we are all monotheistic, but since they don't understand Jesus and who Jesus is, and they deny much of what we teach about Jesus, though Jesus is mentioned in, in the Quran numerous times, uh, and, and so is Mary, they, their understanding of what we mean by, by believing in a triune God is completely wrong. But the other group that that has problems with the Trinity are the Jehovah Witnesses. And they, are, again, they claim to be Christians, but they're not. And the reason they're not is that you cannot deny the divinity of Jesus without changing the Scriptures. And once you change the Scriptures, you're going into a ditch that is just too deep to get out of. You can't rewrite the Bible to meet your standards. You have to change your standards to meet the revelation of God in the Bible. And so Jehovah Witnesses, and I have great friends that, that tend to be Jehovah Witnesses, and we have great conversations, and they're wonderful people, but their theology scripturally is all wrong. You cannot deny the divinity of Jesus and still be a Christian. You cannot say that the Holy Spirit is just a power when the Holy Bible doesn't, doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit as a power. It talks the Holy Spirit about as if it was a person. The, Holy, the Bible does not ever, ever refers to the Holy Spirit as it. It always refers about the Holy Spirit with the first person or the third person uh, uh, pronoun, he. And it speaks about the Holy Spirit teaching. I don't know about the centrifugal force teaching. The Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit being grieved. I don't know how we can grieve the, the um, what is it? What keeps us grounded? Gravity, the power of gravity. I don't know how you can grieve the gravitational force. 
I don't know how gravitational force can be referred to as if it had personality. And yet the Holy Spirit is referred to in Scripture always as, as personality, as, as if he had personhood. It is spirit, but it is treated in Scripture as if it was a person. You cannot claim the Holy Spirit just to be a force out there, just a force, a power from God. The Holy Spirit is described in Scripture much more than just a force. And you cannot make those things and deny those things and still maintain yourself in, in Christianity. It's just impossible. And then there's other groups and cults that claim some of the strangest things. But I want to say to you that the Trinity is one of the central teachings of Christianity. If you ever want to know whether any group is truly Christian, ask them whether Jesus is divine, whether Jesus is part of the Trinity, and if God is one in three persons and three persons in one God. And if they say no, then you know that person is not following or that group is not following Scripture. Okay? First of all, let me say this. We cannot deny that God is one. If we did that, then we would be in the same fallacy. God is one because the Bible says that God is one. Primarily in the Shema, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 4, which is essential to Judaism, the Shema. The Shema reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You can't go beyond that. Any group that has multiple gods is not Christian. It's not biblical. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Paul makes mention that there is one God, one Christ, one faith, one baptism. It is undeniable that God is one. And yet the Bible still reveals that Jesus Christ is God. And primarily in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. That, I mean, it's undeniable. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was, that was made that was made. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. If you change that, you are already changing Scripture. Some groups want to say, in the beginning was a God. And if they do that, they already have multiple gods. There is one God, only one God. But Jesus is also God, and I'll talk a little bit about that. It is undeniable. And then in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, which is the Incarnation which is the Incarnation. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the one passage that is classic to understanding that the Holy Spirit of God is also sharing in the divinity of God is, is 2 Corinthians 3.17 when it says that the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
The Lord is the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. It's not the Lord is Spirit, but the Lord is the Spirit. Which makes a clear reference there to the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of God and sharing in the divinity of God. So, so we have one God, and yet we have three persons in the Bible that are considered God. So how do we bring those things together? You see, one of our biggest problems when we talk about God is that we want to give God legs and, and, and a head and arms, and, and we, we want to see God as this old man, perhaps seated on a throne somewhere in heaven, but with legs and, and all of these things. And of course, when you see God that way, you have to figure out how can there be three persons inside one person or three persons inside one body. But that is the wrong way of looking at who God is. God is spirit. There's nowhere in the Bible where we are told that God is not spirit. And so we need to consider God as much more than a human figure. We need to consider God as the, the, the one that exists beyond all limitations and that covers all things. God is not limited to a body with fingers and, and legs. God is bigger than that. God is, and I'll use some words that make sense to me. They may not be very theologically sound, but God is more like a big bubble. And within that bubble, within what we call the Godhead, where divinity exists, within that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all sharing the same substance, the same thing that makes God God. What I may call the DNA of God, or the Godness of God. Within that head, within that substance, within that bubble, exists the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it has existed forever and will exist forever as individual persons sharing the same divinity. The same substance. You understand what I'm saying? I'll give you an example. I can come down here a moment and I can get very close here to Odore and, and Jenny. And the reality is that all three of us share the same substance. Don't we? We all, in fact, share the same substance. Humanity. What makes a human human, we all share it together. Even if there's 50 of us, 100 of us, 500 of us, when we are together, we all share the same substance, the same being, the same thing that makes me human, makes you human. We share the same abilities to reason, to create, to love, all of these things that make us human, we share in common. That same thing is how I see it with God. What makes God God is what is shared together. And the Father shares it, and the Son shares it, and the Holy Spirit shares it. The DNA, the, 
the godness of God is shared. And within that Godhead or within that bubble, as I see it, there is a hierarchy. And that hierarchy is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the Father sends the Son, and the Son says, Yes, I will go and die as you request. And the Son says, I will pray to the Father that He will send the Spirit. And the Spirit says, Yes, I will come. There is a hierarchy within them, but not with us. We step out of that bubble, and we worship all three of them the same way. They are all the same. They're all God, one God in three persons. Sharing the same oozing thing, the same godness, the same DNA, and yet there is but one God. One God. Now, let me share with you, and there's been a number of heresies throughout the history of the church, primarily when they try to explain things that are inexplainable. Okay? Actually, I created a little uh, diagram here for you. The triangle is God, and you see within God is the, the three persons of the Trinity, and the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and yet together they are one God. And one of the heresies that was dealt with in the early church, I don't know how many of you have heard of modalism. Anybody heard of modalism? There's a couple of people that have heard of modalism. See, the church has always have tried, they have had problems sometimes trying to understand things that are almost impossible to understand. And, and in trying to explain it, one of the, and, and some of you may be holding to some of these ideas, because I know it's out there. Moralism basically says that God changes modes or forms. One moment he's the father, then he leaves heaven and becomes the son, and then he leaves uh, in a sin and he becomes the spirit. That was a heresy that was condemned in the early church. Sometimes we hold on to that heresy through the idea that God is, or the Trinity, is like water when it's solid, and water when it's liquid, and water when it's vapor. That is a form of modalism. It may be good to explain the Trinity, but it's a form of modalism. And the reason modalism doesn't work is that when Jesus is in heaven and he prays to the Father, who's he praying to if he's the same one? It just doesn't work. Modalism doesn't work biblically. It doesn't work scripturally. So it was condemned very early on. Each of the persons of God, each of the persons of the Trinity exists on their own, and they are their own separate person, but they share the same divinity and are part of what we know as God. God. And so the church teaches that God is one in substance, while he is also three in persons. The three persons sharing the same substance, and yet there is but one God. And so we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we use the triune language very often and very common 
in our teaching and in our understanding of God. Is it easy to understand? No, probably not. It may be the best that we can do to explain it, but how do we understand the fullness and the infinity of who God is? Can anyone explain the incarnation? Can you fully explain how the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and she's found pregnant? There's mysteries about God which our finite minds are unable to fully explain. But in order to make sense of what God has revealed in Scripture, we have to struggle with that revelation and come up to the understanding. And the only understanding the church can come up with without denying or changing anything in Scripture is that God is one in substance but three in in persons. There are three different people, but all three are God because they share in what it means to be divine. They share in the substance, the DNA, the godness of what that means. And so today we bring together the teachings of the Father, of the Son, and the Spirit, and we teach you, the church, to know your faith and to understand that God is one. We don't have multiple gods, but God is three in persons that share the same divinity and minister to us from a divine point of view. One substance in three separate persons. But for us, we worship all three the same way. We don't worship the Father higher than the Son. We worship God we worship the one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is the doctrine of the Trinity, and it is essential, it is essential for the faith. Why? Because it's biblical. You can't deny Scripture and remain in the Christian faith. The moment you change Scripture, you're going to go into a ditch, and it may be just too deep to get out of. Eternity depends on our worship of God as He has revealed Himself, not as we want to make Him to be, but as He has revealed Himself. And the best way of understanding God is what we call triune, one God in three persons, one in substance, three in persons. Make sense? Now explain it back to me. <laughs> Please stand with me.